0: Here and uh, this thought of exiles has been one that we've been talking about throughout this entire series and actually... Uh, the thought of exiles is something that God began talking to me about back probably in September or October of last year. And uh, this thought of exiles of people not living uh, in a land that that works according to the same priorities as we do uh, is one that I'd been reading about. And really it started with looking at Exiles uh, for the next generations. You know, many of us, uh, most of us here, grew up with some sort of a thought that we lived in a Christian nation. Yes? And the further back we go, or the older you are, possibly, the more of that experience you had. Uh, although I'm not sure that that was entirely accurate. Even from the get go. But that's a conversation for another day. Uh, but for those who are millennials and Gen Zers, uh, which is pretty much everybody under 35, that has never been the case. We have lived in a post-Christian society, and these generations are growing up never seeing Christianity as something that was of benefit to live in the society. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Not that there wasn't benefit to being a Christian, but at one point in time, it was benefit to, uh, to you as a business owner, to be a Christian business owner and in the yellow pages to have a cross or a fish or something like that and people would go to your business because of your affiliation uh, with Christianity. To run for public office, it was seen as something to be promoted so that you could get a whole religious group behind you and so there was benefit in this society to live uh, in or, or according to at least with that title of Christian. And that has not been the case. Uh, over the last few decades we were at uh, Bushnell University this last week I'll tell you a little bit more about that here in a second but one of the things that they were talking about is this year is their inaugural season as Bushnell They've been known as uh, Northwest Christian College and Northwest Christian University. And one of the reasons uh, that they changed their name in this last season is one, because there was a whole bunch. I think they said there was something like 70 different colleges that have North, Northwestern, uh, Western in their name and in their title. And so there was a lot of confusion to differentiate themselves from other schools. But they also said this, that many times... People that were going into counseling, like as a profession, they had a degree in psychology, those who were becoming Teachers, those who were heading into areas such as biology, were having a difficult time getting jobs and were being persecuted because they had a degree from a Christian university. So, the benefit that went along with having Christian attached to your name has not been a part of the experience of the last few generations, speaking even more to the fact of us living as exiles in a land whose priorities are different than our own. And what a lot of the reading I had done at that point in time was how to live as resilient exiles, the things that a person has in their life that allows them to continue to live for their faith even though they live in a hostile territory, and that's kind of what we've been looking at throughout the book of Daniel, as that was their experience also There's a song, uh, one of the lyrics is, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. Now, some of you are singing the song in your head. Most of you aren't, and that's probably for the better. But it's a good point. Every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. As things come to an end, they had started at one point in time, and as we come to the close of the book of Daniel... We are coming to its end, and yet we are looking at some new beginnings. Trudy and I definitely felt that this week as Thursday. The reason we were at Bushnell University was to drop Brooklyn Cahoon, our daughter, off at this university. And then we drove away and left her there. Yeah, that's weird. You know, and it's sad, and it's hard, and it was difficult at times, and, and it seems like just a few months ago that, that we were having lunch, and, and Brooklyn had this little table, this little TV tray that sat on the floor, and she would get up and flip upside down on top of it, and then I realized, wait a second, that was 210 months ago that she did that, and now she is at school 17 and a half years later and these memories that come so fast it seems like things were just beginning and yet this time in our house living there has come to an end but man is it good because it is time for new beginnings and new stories and new chapters to be written and so that's where we're at with the book of Daniel as well. We're looking at the beginning of something new. You see, we're closing up in chapter 12 here, and this vision actually started back in chapter 10. 10, 11, and 12 are all one vision connected, and we've looked at that through Mike Clary, who shared with us through to today, and it comes on the heels of, in chapter 9, Jeremiah was reading through the book of Jeremiah and through the history of his people realizing Jeremiah had said that their captivity or their exile would be over the course of a 70-year period, and he was seeing that that time was coming to an end. And so he was praying and he was owning the sins of his people and the reasons that they got brought into exile as he was preparing for something new to come. You know, and there would be newness. They would be returning home to Jerusalem and to the promised land, but it would never be the same as it was. You see, if you jump back into the book of Leviticus, you have God giving his promise to his people, and he's sharing about what's going to take place. It says in in chapter 26, verse 3, If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you... Your rains and their season and the land shall yield its increase. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time of the sowing, and you shall eat bread and to the full, and dwell in your land securely." And he goes on for a number of verses. But then in verse 14, there's a but. But, if you will not listen to me, If you will not do these commandments, if you spurn my statutes, if if your soul abhors my rules so that you do not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. And he, God goes on to says, but if you don't, This is what will happen. And he goes on and he says, and you'll be carried off to another land, which is exactly what would end up happening as the Israelites hardened their hearts and they no longer followed closely to the statutes that God had put in place. And this is the place that they found themselves. But if you continue in chapter 26 of Leviticus, but again, but if they confess their iniquity, and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery and they, that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. Sound familiar? If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I'll remember my covenant with Isaac and with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Jump to verse 45. I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. And so, Way before, hundreds and hundreds of years, he outlined how this would go. I'm going to bring them into the land, and as long as they're following me, then this land will flourish and be a land flowing with milk and honey, and they will have success there, and they will live well until the day that they choose not to. You see, this land was promised through God's grace. They didn't earn it. Abraham hadn't done anything to deserve this kind of favor from God. And it was acquired through the Israelites' submission. As they were submitted to God, they had victory in overtaking this land and then living in it. It was lost through the Israelites' disobedience. That's where they find themselves now in exile, in the land of Babylonia, under the rule of the Persians at this point in time. And it would be returned to them, but it would never be the same. It was just going to be different. As they returned, it was going to be a new story. They weren't going to return to the old story of how it had been. They were going to return to something new. Back in Daniel, we're actually going to start in chapter 11 where we ended last week. And these words were talking about the Antichrist who was to come. And so these words in this vision are talking about the future, way out, okay, in the future, not only for Daniel, but in the future for us as well. And of the Antichrist, the, in the vision, the angel said, and he shall pitch his tent and palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end with no one to help him. At that time, we're straight into chapter 12, same vision. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never been since the nation until that time. But at that time, your people will be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So he's describing the scene in the end days. says, Michael, the great prince, your great prince angel will rise up, And he will fight on your behalf as he has been doing all along. This is evidently the prince angel who has been assigned to the Israelites themselves to fight for them. We saw this back in chapter 10 as Gabriel said that the the archangel Michael joined me in this battle with the prince of, of Persia. And we were doing battle. That's why I was delayed in coming to answer your prayers and he says, we are preparing for the prince of Greece to come. And so while Persia is taking over Babylon and, and Greece will one day take over Persia, that this thing is happening on land with men, there's also a spiritual battle taking place in succession with it. And this angel, Michael, who has been fighting for the Israelites, will continue even in the end days to battle for them. He says, though, that trouble like has never been seen not in the days of past when you lived in Egypt, not when you were under the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, and not even like the things that are yet to come as they had seen these visions of what life would be under Antiochus Epiphanes and and, and the troubles and the hardships that the Israelites would go through. And he says, like never before until that day you will face hardships, but your people will be delivered. Have hope. Have hope, because even though these things are coming, your people will be delivered. The dead will rise, some to eternal life, some to eternal shame and contempt. But for those that stand, for those that preach the good news of the gospel, for those that bring others into a relationship with Jesus by sharing, it says that they will shine like the brightness of the sky. That these are the things that are coming. And then verse 4 says, But you, Daniel... Shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so he is told to seal up this vision. Now he's not talking about keeping it a secret. In fact, many of the things that are contained in the last few chapters are supposed to serve as encouragement to the Israelites as they undergo these hardships because many of them were in Daniel's future but are now in our past. And so they needed these words of encouragement To to know that God is always faithful, even when we are not, and it was a reminder to them. And so he's not telling him to hide them. He's saying, keep them safe. Put your seal on them, which gives them authenticity, that that they are the real thing. And he says, protect them so that these words are available right when the people need it and they would need it in, in history. And the reason we're looking at it today is because I think we can find the same encouragement for what we Are dealing with today. And then is the close of this vision there in those verses. Then, in what is known as the epilogue, Daniel shares one last vision. We don't totally know when he received the vision. He told us in the others, but that's not important for this one. And and this vision takes place in the same setting, it seems, as the beginning of the vision in chapter 10 on the banks of the great river. And we see that in verse 5. Then I, Daniel, Looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen Who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore to him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half of a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So seemingly he has this vision of two angels, one on either bank of this river, And he asks, one of the angels asks, how long will it be till the end? Until all these things are completed and the one over the water hovering in in linens is widely accepted as the angel of the Lord. And as you pay attention in the Old Testament, there's a bunch of times that it talks about an angel of the Lord, Michael, an angel of the Lord, Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord speaks for God himself and is the pre-incarnate Christ, and so he is seeing Jesus over the waters, and he raises his right hand, which you would do if you're taking an oath, but even more so to solidify what he was saying, he raises his left hand also to the sky, and he proclaims the answer for a time, and two times, and half of a time which is kind of strange understanding a language. We'd looked at what time meant uh, for the Israelites. It's different than the way we understand it, and so it could possibly mean a year and two years and a half of a year. So three and a half years is the time that this will take place, which makes a lot of sense when you put it up against the 70 weeks that were talked about in Daniel chapter 9. Because at the end of that section, it says that there will be one season or a seven-year period where the Antichrist, the one, will make a covenant with God's people, but halfway through, he will break that covenant. So three and a half years where he had made a covenant and kept it and things looked like they were going right and then another three and a half years where he would break that covenant and God's people would come under the worst persecution that mankind has ever seen and so these verses seem to line up exactly with what he was talking about in chapter 9 and it also means that it will come to an end only when the suffering of God's people is at its highest point, is at its peak verse 8 I heard but I didn't understand and then I said oh my Lord what shall be the outcome of these things and he said go your way Daniel for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. You know, this answer uh, from Jesus actually reminds me of a different time in the book of John. And this is after Jesus had died and was resurrected again. It's in chapter 21 if you're turning there. John 21 and we're going to pick it up in verse 18. But, uh, but Jesus had raised from the dead and he had gone out. The, it, the, the disciples were fishing. They hadn't caught anything. He said, lower your nets again. They caught this great uh, haul of fish. Peter recognizes as Jesus jumps out of the boat that go. Over and they have this barbecue on the beach, hanging out, barbecuing Jesus. Right? And Jesus talks to Peter firsthand, and he asks him three different times, do you love me? And then he gives him instructions on how to care for his people and his church. Three different instances as Peter had denied him three times. And and so Jesus is in three different chances giving him the opportunity to make amends for that. Not for Jesus. Jesus didn't need it. He'd already forgiven him. But so that Peter could move on, and this is what he says. It says in verse 18, Truly I say to you this is to Peter when you Peter were young you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you were old you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry to where you do not want to go this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God in essence he's telling Peter how he'll die that he will die crucified that somebody else will dress him and lead him to a place he doesn't want to go so that he could be crucified. Tradition holds that he was crucified upside down because he didn't find himself worthy to die the same way as Jesus. But this is what Jesus says. And after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. That was referring to John, who wrote this book. And it says, the one who had been reclining at the table close to him. And and uh, Peter asked him, he said, Jesus, what about this man, John? Like, how's he going to die? Are we going to talk about that, or are we just going to talk about me? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is it to you? You just follow me. Now, it seems a little rude. Jesus isn't being rude. He's just saying, you don't need to worry about it. You don't need to concern yourself with those kinds of things about what others will do. I just want you to follow me. Peter, just follow me. It's going to be enough for you to do those things. And that is what the angel says to Daniel right here. He says, oh, my Lord, what shall the outcome of these things be? He's asking questions that Jesus is like, you don't need to concern yourself about the outcomes. You don't need to be bogged down by those details. And then he says this, go your way. Daniel, just follow me. If you will just go about the things that you have been called to do, then all things will come together according to my plan. Daniel chapter 12, verse 10, he continues, Many shall purify themselves, make themselves white and refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise will understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. Again, talking about the time frames back in chapter 9. But we're not going to bog ourselves down with those details. The words are sealed, he said, for the time that they have been destined for. Everything is going to fall in place in verse 13, the end verse of Daniel, but go your way until the end. Go your way until the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. And with those words, we close the book of Daniel. Daniel is speaking of an end Uh, of exile, which would be the beginning of new things to come as this book closes, something new was about to start. First, there would be a season of rebuilding as they went back to Jerusalem, but then there would also come seasons of turmoil and strife and conflict. Nations would wage war around them, and it wouldn't always have to do with the Israelites themselves, but they would always live in the context of these war between the kings of the north and the kings of the south that we read about last week. And they would need encouragement throughout, and a time would come that they would face persecution, persecution, by Antiochus, and he would persecute them in a way that they had not seen before, and yet even more was to come as well. And so, we experience something like this as we look at these words of every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. So Daniel knew what he was speaking of. He was speaking of the end of exile and new beginnings as they rebuilt, but he was also speaking of the end of the world, which would also bring new beginnings, something that we have been waiting for, new beginnings of an eternal life in relationship and in uh, in, in the presence of the God of the universe was something that was to come. And we experienced something like this back on March 14th. That was a Saturday morning, and and the elders here met. And we decided uh, that it was probably the best choice because of what we knew about uh, coronavirus that that we not meet the next day. And so we didn't meet. And that's the first time in my church history of going to church for the last 40-something years that I remember church ever being canceled, at least in the presence of us here at the building. And yet I think that the church in America has changed since that day. I know we have. We have changed in in ways that have been fun to watch, of God's people serving one another and going out of their way to take care of each other's needs. And again, I've been connected to a church for a long time, and I've never seen people caring for one another the way that this church has over the course of the last six months. We've been having spiritual conversations unlike any other conversations that we've had as you guys called to pray with one another, to study the scriptures together. And these were conversations that were taking place without anybody standing on stage telling you what to think. And you did great. And you're doing great. Yeah. You don't need us for any of this. You can do this on your own. And we relied more on prayer and relying on God than any season that I've seen within the church. And I've had people say that that I can't wait for us to get back to the way things were. And I'm like, oh, man, I hope we don't. I sure hope we don't get back to the way things were. And so we're in a new season. That brought an end to something, but it brought new beginnings to us. This is exactly what the Israelites were facing here at the end of the book of Daniel. You see, we have similar lessons to learn now as they did in 2020. I've heard the quote, and I've probably said it before, I'll say it again, that we shouldn't in 2020 be preparing for a new normal. We should be preparing for a new reality. You know, we've never been closer to the end days than this day that we're in right here. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is returning tomorrow, though I'm not saying he isn't. All I know is this. I know a bunch of people who are praying for Jesus to come back, and as I look around the world and as I read scriptures, you might be getting what you prayed for, and it's probably your fault. And that's all right. You know, we should spend some time in the book of Matthew, chapter 24, and as we look at Matthew, uh, he, he's talking about what it will be like in the end times. And he says this, if I can get there. Verse 43 he says, "Know this: that if the master of the house had known in part, uh, of, in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect." We don't know when that day is coming. It might be tomorrow. It might be in another thousand years. Who knows? But we need to be preparing for a new reality because the world has changed around us and this might be a good thing. As we prepare for a new reality, we need to do so on old promises. You see, the promises have never changed from back in Leviticus that that he would be our God and that we would be his people. And that's what it says in 2 Corinthians. It says, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them. And walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And those words are directly connected to Leviticus chapter 26 that we read about before. He's talking about a a promised land, and he said, "I'm, I'm establishing this land because I am their God. And he says, but a day will come that I will find my dwelling in you. So we can face these new things and a new beginning based on old promises because God never changes. He is always faithful even when we are not. Third thing is this. We've got some rebuilding to do. We've got rebuilding to do, and that's what's coming next in these chapters after Daniel. You see, they were going to be heading back out of Babylon, out of Persian uh, occupation in order to be rebuilding. They were rebuilding relationships. They were rebuilding uh, the, their, their lives with one another. They'd be rebuilding the temple Or the church, they would be rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem, which was all about the way that other nations looked at who God is. And in this new season, we've got rebuilding to do. We're gonna be looking at that how to mend and rebuild our relationships with one another. How to look at the church and, and rebuild and make the church what it is meant to be. In fact, that's what we've done as we've come back. We've reshuffled the cards a little bit to focus better. That's why we're spending more time on Sunday mornings in prayer. That's why we're spending more time focused on community. We're going to be making investments in technology. Good news, Zoom people. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be streaming differently to Facebook Live and to YouTube Live because we know that in this new season that things are not going to change a whole lot. There's probably for the next year or so, we're going to have some people on site and some logging in and we want to invest in in us being connected to one another, which is why it's so important that everybody gets into a community group because we've got rebuilding to do and we can't do it alone. We'll be rebuilding the church the temple as they did back then and we'll also be rebuilding the way that the world looks at God what kind of a representation are we to the world around us what kind of an influence are we in Florence that we want to rebuild some of those are in relationships some are the ways that we serve other people and so we want to rebuild in those ways and that's what we're going to be doing here in the next few months and then the last thing he says so go your way he actually tells him this twice, both in verse 9 and then again in verse 13. And he says, Daniel, just go about your life. Go about your life doing the things that I have called you to do. And so that's where we're at. We don't know when the end is coming. And so we're going to go our way. We're going to go back to our homes and we're going to rebuild there. We're going to go to our workplaces and to our schools, to our places that we volunteer, to our community groups. We're going to go about our day looking to put Christ at the center and to rebuild and follow him into what he is calling us next. You see, this entire thing was written and then he was told to seal it because the Israelites would need to remember that God was faithful. So we've been looking at this so that we can remember even when we drop the ball, even when we fall short, that God is always faithful even when we are in exile. And so here we are, despite us letting him down, he has never let us down. And while that brings us to the end of our study of the book of Daniel, the end is but the beginning. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness to us that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned God, that you give freely, and God, we do everything to try to mess it up, and yet you do not relent. God, you continue in your faithfulness. I thank you that you are with us here as we gather uh, together in each other's presence, but also, God, you know how much I rely on you connecting us even when we're miles apart. God, I count on you uh, to do that for our congregation in the same way that I do for my family. God, I just pray that uh, you would... Just guide us into what is next. God, facing new realities. God, preparing for you to be doing a new work in this upcoming season. God, based on who you are. God, because you never change, and I thank you for that. Help us, uh, even as we fail along the way, to continue to get up and to follow after you again. You are so good, and we worship you and you alone. Amen.